All right, good morning. Good morning. Well, if you would open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 12. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. Most weeks I get the opportunity to open up God's Word. And today we're launching a five-week series on legacy. So starting next week, um, for three weeks, we'll be talking about your own personal legacy. And by the time we get to the end of this sermon, I think you'll understand exactly why we're going there. The final message is all about, the fifth week is about the kind of legacy you receive and what you do with that legacy. But today, we're going to be talking about the legacy of this local church. We're going to be talking about Vision 2017. If you're new with us, what we do twice a year is I stand in front of you and I share with you our major goals for the year. Usually it's the first Sunday of the year, but since you all slept in last week, we're going to do that this week. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I want to share with you some of the big things that we um, as a leadership are working through, some of our goals, some of our desires, and uh, all of this in the context of of legacy. And, And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to get to that. What I want to do is use Genesis chapter 12 to launch off this series. We're going to talk about um, legacy from the life of Abraham, and we're going to use this as a springboard. You're going to find that much of what we discussed today applies personally to you. Um, also, you're going to find that it applies directly to the village church. So um, one, of the, one of the perks of being a young pastor especially when I came on as lead pastor. I was interim at 28 years old. And, uh, and so one of the realities is that people have a lot of assumptions about young pastors. And some are true, um, and some are false. And one of the assumptions about young pastors is this. Um, all you want to do is be a megachurch pastor. Now, I'm not going to lie to you that in most pastors' 20s, myself included, there is this idolatry that happens amongst pastoral ministry and leadership cultures and climates. And there's something in a young pastor's mind, not all but many, right, that says there's something about that that feels like the pinnacle, the goal. Uh, I can tell you what's happened with me, especially over the last, um, wow, seven, seven, this is year number seven that I've officially been in, in this role. Um, God has been dismantling, putting back together, reshaping, doing a whole bunch of things in my heart and my mind. But here's what I can tell you in my 20s. I had no expectation or anticipation or desire to be here now. But I think I can speak for most of you when I say in retrospect, God's plans are much better than our own for ourselves. Can I get an amen on that one? That was weak, but we'll go with it. I wanted to start and share with you just a few uh, of the things that God has been really developing in me over the past, I would say, six, seven years. And uh, I want you to know, just get maybe a little snapshot into personally what drives me. And it's not lost on me, uh, my influence and the leader's influence on the future and vision of this church. And uh, so I want to just kind of open my heart for you for a moment. Um, Regularly, I would say almost daily, there's a, a prayer that... Um, I say to God every time I go and do an elder meeting, a one-on-one, and I didn't even realize I was so much doing this until the last year or two, but one of my most constant prayers is, God, I just want you to be happy. Um, so whatever, whatever comes of this, I, I'm not going to tell you I'm going to be perfect in this, but God, I just really want to please you. And uh, we, we end up praying, I end up praying quite a bit, God, whatever you want, we want. I just want to make you happy. And I think as I've really just kind of looked at my life, as I look at the future and I look at my family, I look at the village church, there is probably this burden that I really only want to do what he wants me to do. That's it. And I know I speak for our elders when I say when we look at the village church, we literally have no desire to build any legacy for ourselves other than the one Jesus wants to build for us. When we think about the future of the village church, um, we really simply want to make him happy. 
If he says go, we want to go. If he says stop, we want to stop. If he says slow down, we want to slow down. This is what I want in my personal life. It's what I want for Village Church. And so that's number one. And um, I realize that I, I am a temporary steward of this position right now. There will be others who come after me. And my prayer for them is that they would only want to do what God wants them to do, that any kind of level of personal ambition would just be killed and the ambition to please Jesus would be first and foremost. Number two, there is this really strong desire in me that the leaders who come after us, this present leadership team, will look at us and say, thank you. And that when they hand off the baton to the next leadership generation, the leaders after them would receive that baton and they would say, thank you that somehow we want to do better with what we've received and give it off, and that we want them to do better and then to hand it off. We'd like there to be a multi-generational handing off of the baton, and that's one of my desires. So often when we make decisions as a church, when we plan for the future, one of the questions that is behind the scenes is this. What will future leaders say about the decisions we're making? Are we handing off trouble to them, or are we handing off blessing and joy to them? Um, Are we protecting this thing long-term, or are we making easy decisions now and punting really difficult decisions later. Did you like my little punt? That was, yeah, go Lions. They lost, by the way. (laughs) It was pathetic, but not as pathetic as the Bears. All right, number three. I know, now you're all like, I'm not listening to a thing he says. I really desire that the local church and the global church would be truly blessed by Village Church. I I don't care if people stay, but as people come and they find a temporary home at Village Church, And the majority of you probably are not going to die at Village Church. The Lord may move you or shift you. You may end up someplace else. But my desire is that Village Church becomes a place of transience in this culture, that people may land here for a year or two or 10 or 20, and they go on, that the kingdom of God would grow, that more people would come to know Jesus Christ. And so what I really want to do is I want to be, I want my life and I want this church to be about building God's kingdom. I would love if at my memorial service, um, people were, I was able to listen in heaven and uh, people would talk about maybe how they came to Christ through something we did. Maybe they came to Christ or they grew or their life was transformed or maybe I had a prophetic moment with you and I confronted you in sin or you confronted me and our lives were changed as a result of it. But number four, here's, here's, here's a big one for me. I do not expect Village Church is going to live on forever and ever and ever. Um, If Jesus doesn't come back, here's my prayer for how Village Church would close. My prayer is that Village Church would not close because of poor leadership decisions or infighting, but because of persecution. That would be my desire. That we would not position ourselves as a community or as a leadership to put ourselves in a position where we have to close the doors to this place because of foolish and sinful decisions we make. My my dream is that one day Village Church would close because of persecution and not because of our own ridiculous decisions. So let's define legacy. And all of these things are about legacy. And legacy is really two things. Number one, legacy is the dominant narrative of your life. It is the story of your life. It is the thrust of your life memorial service. It is the primary stories that are told about you. And whoever, whomever tells your story controls your legacy. Now, I know that when you think about your memorial service, what you really want is not for people to say, well, let me tell you a story about them. They really ripped me off here. And let me tell you how they ruined my life, right? And there is a story that is being told about the village church. And I want to protect this story as much as I possibly can. Because if I said to you in the past, I've said it to you multiple times, the three biggest wounds in people's lives are daddy wounds, sex wounds, and church wounds. I understand very clearly that what we do in this place of 
affects people profoundly. There, is, there are few greater pains in life than people um, being let down, hurt, and abused by spiritual leaders in the church. And you see this all over culture. So um, what I would desire and long for is that the story that is told of the village church would be one of faithfulness of Jesus, of health, of humility, not of perfection. Uh, because if you've been here for more than a week, you realize we are not perfect. But number one, it's the dominant narrative of your life. Number two, it's the lasting impact of your life on another soul. It's the lasting impact of your life on another soul. Churches and people inherit the DNA and the culture of those who birth them. Churches and people, we inherit the DNA and the culture of those who birth us. You may not realize this. You are the accumulation of millennia of decisions from your ancestors. You, right now, you might just go back to your mom and your dad, but you, who you are, your DNA and the culture that you grew up in is the accumulation of millennia of decisions from your ancestors. And it's the same with the church. The people who birth a church, they birth its DNA, they birth its culture, and every generation of a church hands off its culture and its DNA to the next generation, and we are influencing way past our death. Legacies live on far after you die. They have a life of their own, and even if you cannot name your great-grandfather and beyond, or your great-grandmother and beyond, hear me, every one of their decisions is reverberating throughout centuries, reverberating through your DNA and through your culture and through your family and through your heritage, and they are affecting you today now. Nobody may remember your name 500 years from now, but I guarantee you this, the decisions you make today will affect what happens five years from now in one way or another. I desire, and I know you desire that maybe somewhere along the line, they would remember my name is for somebody who pointed them to Jesus Christ. Your legacy is the dominant narrative of your life, and it's the lasting impact of your life on another soul. So what are the ingredients to a legacy? There are two main ingredients. Number one, intentionality. Intentionality. Great legacies never, ever, ever, ever happen on accident. Great legacies are chosen. Great legacies are intentional. If you want to be remembered as somebody who loved Jesus, hear me, if you are living on accident and you're not choosing your legacy, if you're not building the foundation and the framework for it, your, le- your great legacy will never happen. These things happen intentionally on purpose because of sin inside of you. It is pulling you to sinfulness away from Jesus. And unless you intervene in your life, right, by trusting in Jesus Christ and then by the Holy Spirit making a better path, your legacy will not be one that brings God much glory and your negative decisions will reverberate for centuries in your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. This is important. Great legacies are built with intentionality. Somebody said, whoever tells your story controls your legacy. So this is a great illustration. This last week, Obama released his final jobs report. No, this is not going to be a pro or negative Obama thing. But it's really interesting uh, how many different perspectives there are on this one jobs report. Let me just share for you CNN. Here's what they said. Record-setting jobs growth for Obama. That's CNN. Compare that with Fox News. Obama's final jobs report disappoints. Okay, which one is it, right? Well, the New York Times, they'll give us a little more level ground, right? Obama's final job report leaves lukewarm note. Well, which one is it? Is it lukewarm, disappointing, or record-setting, right? One, one person, 
one legacy, three different people, three different narratives. And, and here's the deal. I cannot control what people do with my legacy. Jesus is responsible for protecting my legacy. But here's my job. I am responsible to build my legacy from this day forth until the day I die. Understanding every decision I make, the way I build my life, reverberates and affects generations to come. This is of utmost importance. We as Christians, we play the long game. We say no to things that feel right now so we can say yes to great things later. This is fundamental of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So number one, it takes intentionality. Number two, a great legacy requires long-term obedience. Great legacies are birthed over a lifetime, but I want you to hear me. They are lost in a moment. They are birthed over a lifetime, but they are lost in a moment. People build, spend two-thirds of their life following God, serving, giving. And sometimes in that last third of their life, they give up. And they expect that what they did in the first two-thirds of their life will be what people remember them by. And I want you to hear me. People remember you by how you die. And how you die is built on the foundation of how you lived. That's what's, that is what is huge. And if you spend the last third of your life dying without faithfulness to Jesus, expecting that the first two-thirds of your life are going to be what carries your legacy, you will be sorely mistaken. And so legacies can be built, and they can be built. And this is something, if you're 90 years old, you're 80 years old, you're 70 years old, you fight for faithfulness to Jesus at every moment until the last breath that you have till you close your eyes because how you die what you do in that hospital what you do in those final moments will be the stamp on your legacy there are no more important moments in your life than the last third of your life local churches have done such an amazing job for the majority of their life but you know how we remember them for how they died isn't that interesting many of you in this room can tell the stories of dead churches And what you may tell to be kind are the stories of the early years. But when you think about that church, what do you feel? Frustration, regret, disappointment, heartache. This is why I say I would love if the village church had to close one day, maybe because of persecution, not because we couldn't get along or we made ridiculous decisions. Think about the church in Ephesus. They did so well. They did so well. And around 90 AD, Jesus intervenes and tells them, you're lukewarm. And he looks at them and he threatens to close their church if they don't change. This church that had some of the greatest leaders on the planet couldn't even die well, it seems, toward the end. So why all this legacy talk? I'm going to tell you right now. Um, legacy is a fundamental human impulse. This, there's a drive that God has put in you to care about your reputation long term. This is not narcissistic. It's not selfish. It is a God-infused impulse where you should have a deep concern for how people will remember you when you die. If you don't have a concern for legacy, it's because of one of two reasons, brokenness inside of you or youthfulness. It seems that the closer death looms, the more pressing your legacy becomes. I'd say, give me an amen, but then all the older people are going to give me an amen, right? Uh, it seems that as soon as you have children, you all of a sudden be, you become very concerned with what people are going to say about you. What are my children going to think? 
And then you look at your kids and you're like, oh no, they look like me. They have all of my weaknesses and not my strengths. God help me. This is good, right? And you realize that you are creating little yous made in your image and God's image. And you want your legacy to live on them with faithfulness to Jesus Christ. It's a burden inside of you. And so I want to challenge you, whether or not you have kids or not, whether or not you are old or not, that you need to remember that one day you will care deeply about this if you don't right now. And my desire for you is to springboard you so that you can begin building a legacy that will bring God the most amount of glory. So in your notes, Genesis chapter 12, point number one, you can find these on your app or in the notes you were handed. God has a legacy for Village Church. We're going to meet Abram, who eventually became... You guys are so smart. Um, and uh, we're, this is really where we're introduced to Abram or Abraham. So we're going to look at this text in a little bit different way than maybe the majority of times you'll hear this text taught. There are so much theological depth meaning in here. But we're going to look at this through the perspective of legacy. And we're going to take a little bit different twist on this. Abraham is approximately 75 years old. Is that young or is that old? Don't answer that. That was a joke. That was a trap. 75 years Old, no experience with God that we know of. He is a pagan living in a polytheistic pagan culture. Uh, he has no scriptures whatsoever. I mean, we have the Bible, all this Judeo-Christian history that we have. We have Judeo-Christian history because Abraham functionally started it. Okay? Um, he's got nothing. Maybe at best, he has some semblance of an oral tradition about the one true God. But either way, in Ur, where he came from, this is not, this is not the dominant religion, nor is it likely his religion. God is going to pluck what, honestly, at the time of the millions of people on earth, what feels like this obscure man, he's going to pluck him out. And this man's going to be the father of, right now, the three world's most dominant religions, Islam, Judaism, and pop quiz. Christianity. Wow, all right, good. We're on the same page. Uh, arguably, he is the second most influential person in the Bible next to Jesus. You could argue between him and Moses, but that'll be a community group conflict. So, before he was called Abraham, he was Abram, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. This is legacy. You hear this all throughout the Bible. The issue of name. A person's name and legacy are of utmost importance to God. And God comes to him and offers him culturally at the time and in the human condition what is one of the most fundamental drives in us. He says, you know that thing that you want to be remembered for generations. I want to bless you and I am going to make your legacy great. This is an offer that's hard to refuse. Why? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Number one, God's legacy for us, for you, will require faith. Look at 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your what? What is that word? Kindred, we'll define that in a minute, and your father's house to the land that I'm going to show you. So it appears Abram had an option, go or not go. Had he not gone, what would he have forfeited? More 
than he could ever imagine. Even by the time he died, he did not even understand one one thousandth of the legacy that God was going to create for his great name. He didn't even understand it. And there is this pivotal moment in his life. I want you to leave everything you have ever known. And I want you to go to the unknown. I want you to leave everything that you know is safe. Your family, your home, your nation, your culture. And I want you to leave. I want you to leave your religion. I want you to leave this polytheistic pagan religion. I want you to abandon what you've only known about faith for 75 years. And I want you to worship one God, me, no one else. That's it. Now, I don't know about you, but if God said to me, go, I would say, all right, where am I going? And then he would say, I'm not going to tell you. And then I would say, that's not how this game works. And he would say, I'm God, do what I said. I'd say, I want to know where I'm going. He said, I'll tell you when I get there. Which direction do I go? Just start walking. You'll find your way there. That doesn't help me, okay? Does that feel like you're walking? Like you get up every day and the Lord's like, audible, here's where we're going today. And I'm like, oh, how's this thing going to pan out? Trial, tragedy, trauma, frustration, difficulty. What's going to happen next? I'll tell you when it gets over. But you know what? In retrospect, doesn't it always make sense? You get to the end of this thing and you're like, duh, I should have followed you the whole time without question because you're a genius and I'm an imbecile. But that's how it works. He didn't know anything about the Bible. He didn't have any theological knowledge. But here's what we know. When God speaks, you act. This is where legacies begin. When God says it, you do it. When God prompts you, you obey. This is the fundamental aspect of building a legacy. It is obedience. It's long-term obedience. It starts right now. And already right now, we're going to talk about village and you, and it'll be a mix of both. But you know right now God is asking you to do something, and you have been saying no for a very, very long time. And you have no idea the blessings that lie on the other side of that obedience. Here's what I can tell you. God will never ask you to do something that will not be for your good or his glory in the long run, ever. Not once. If you're a child of God, if you've trusted in Jesus, and it might be scary, and this is what God likes to do. He likes to ask us to do very difficult things. When God asks you to walk into the unknown, he is building your legacy. Will you go? This is what he does. This is what he does. For some of you, he has never asked you to walk into the unknown, and that is either because you have not listened, you have not asked, okay, and you, this is what God does. He takes his kids and he tells them to do hard things. This is why the most repeated command in scripture is don't be afraid. Why? Because God is constantly asking us to do things that are not easy, fun, or nice. And then the most oft-repeated promise is I will be with you always. Why? Because when we obey him, it's petrifying sometimes. It is not easy. And what he did with Abraham, he does with us throughout our lives, and there are these pinnacle moments, these pivotal moments that we have to stop. God's legacy is for you, for us, for the village church. It is to bless others. We play the long game. This is what we do. We play the long game. Verse 2 says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your great name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. We get all wrapped up. Why would you ask me to do this? This is hard. This is more than I ever wanted. Why me? And, and yes, does God want to bless you? The answer is yes. What God is doing through you is creating a DNA and a culture and a legacy that is going to reverberate for generations and affect people who come after you. God is big, building something way bigger than just you. 
He is building something grander, and he is going to use you and your legacy to impact future generations for his namesake. It is profound. A healthy church and a healthy family, the legacies of those two things, statistically are going to raise kids who love Jesus. It's crazy how that works. And God is coming back to us and saying, be a healthy church, be a healthy family, build a legacy because these things reverberate through generations and impact people's salvation even past the point where you die. This is bigger than you. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And hear this, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's my question. What is God going to ask Village Church to do. Here's what I know. A couple things. Number one is that God applauds faith, I think, more than almost anything in Scripture. I mean, don't get me wrong. Love seems to be more important, but Jesus definitely seems to congratulate people with faith way more than he congratulates people of love. So there's something about faith that God is like, okay, if I'm going to build something in this church, if I'm going to build something in the individuals who make up this church, it's going to be faith. So number one, if he's going to do that, fine. He is going to build faith. It always happens like this, by asking you to go into the scary unknown. That's what it is. So here's what I'm expecting. God applauds faith. Faith is built by walking into the scary unknown. What should I expect that God is going to do with the village church? He is going to ask us to do things that are hard. He's going to ask us to do things that feel sometimes risky. Hopefully they're risky in the right way and not the wrong foolish way. He's going to ask us to do things that are very difficult. He's going to ask the church, which means, and I want you to hear me, he is going to ask individuals to do things that are really difficult because the individuals collectively make up a local church. And Jesus loves each person who is in the church, and Jesus is passionate about every local church. Now, don't worry, I'm not prepping you for some huge, hard thing I'm going to ask you. We're not doing a financial campaign at the end of this where I'm going to like dip into your pocketbooks. I'm just telling you, I don't know what the future holds right now, but here's what I know. That God is going to ask Village to do hard things, to step out, to do scary things, to do things that are unknown. And we have to sometimes step back and say, this is what you do. This is what you do. You do this to us personally, and you do this to us corporately. Number two, God's legacy for Village Church has hinge points. By the way, this is the same for your personal life. Hinge points are critical. Make it or break it. You do not get a redo. You cannot undo this moment in your life. Hinge points um, can be lots or Canaanites. You'll know what I mean in a moment. Let's look at lots. Verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And we just want you to catch Lot. He keeps coming up. And Lot went with him. Abram, Abram was how old? 75 years old. So does God ask people 75 years old and, hard, and, old, and older to do very hard, difficult, scary things? The answer is yes. And Lot, his brother's son. Interesting, you're talking about Lot a lot. And all the possessions that they had gathered. The people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Why does God talk about Lot so much? I'm going to tell you the answer, and then I'm going to explain it. Abraham, Abram, was told to leave his kindred behind. Is Lot kindred? The answer is yes. Why did Abram take Lot with him? We don't know. 
Maybe it's really scary going into the unknown and you just need a little bit of comfort. Maybe you just need a little bit of familiarity. Maybe he just missed home and needed to take a little peace with him. But God was clear and God was direct. You are to leave your father's house and you are to leave your kindred. What's interesting is that the the way Old Testament narrative works is that sometimes as Americans, we read it and we want the text to say, tell us it was a bad decision. We want the author to chime in and say, "Um, and Abraham should not have taken Lot with him. But here's the deal. Narrative doesn't tell you that. It shows you that. So did you know that every single time Lot and Abraham have a connection point here, it goes bad for Abraham? Lot is a thorn in Abraham's side. He is the thorn in his side. It's like every time Lot does something, he makes the wrong decision, and then Abraham gets stuck with it and has to go save the day, and it gets Abraham into, or Abram into a ton, a ton of trouble. And so the text is showing you, he was not supposed to do this. Here, here's what I find. The lots in our life that hold us back from obeying God almost always, not always, almost always are about relationships. They're about people that we should have taken with us or should not have taken with us. I think sometimes the scariest thing that God is going to ask you and me to do is to leave someone behind or to take someone with us that we don't really want to take with us. And what we do when we walk into the unknown is we get petrified and we think we have all this faith until God asks you to really go into the scary unknown and to travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles to an unknown country We think we have this kind of faith, and then we realize our idols. We realize all of the lack of faith because we cannot let go. It's a boy, it's a girl, it's this or it's that. And God was really clear. I want you to leave everything, and I want you to follow me. And you're going to find in Abram, who becomes Abraham, you're going to find in his life, God is constantly asking him to do over-the-top big things because he is going to develop in Abraham a faith that is enormous. And that's how it's developed. I think the second lot in our life, honestly... It's comfort, um, things that make life easy. I don't want to leave my comforts. I don't want to leave the ease of this. I don't want to give too much money away because then I might not have enough of a security. You know, there's so much stuff in my life. I just want to make sure all of this is protected. And once I protect all of this, then I can say, okay, God, I'll do what you ask as long as you don't threaten my comfort, you don't threaten my money, you don't threaten my relationships. As long as basically status quo stays the same, give me more so I can bless more. That's kind of our MO. And God's like, eh. That's cute. That's adorable. (laughs) Not not really how I work. And if God comes to you and he says, I want you to leave this comfort behind, or I want you to leave this privilege behind, or I want you to leave this relationship behind, here's what I can promise you. The blessing on the other side is always worth it. It's always worth it. The second hinge point can be a Canaanite. Let's read the text. I'll explain it. When they came to the land of, what is it? Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Morah. At the time, the, who was in the land? The Canaanites were in the land. Why does the text doubly want you to know that the Canaanites were in the land? Because the Canaanites were a morally grotesque group of people. Abram, for all of his sensibilities, let's just say in this long travel, God is teaching him about himself and he is teaching him about his holiness and his purity. Let's just say there's any benefit of the doubt that Abram is learning small things about the nature and the character of a holy monotheistic God in contrast to his pagan polytheistic culture. Okay? And now he's going to land in the most morally bankrupt, corrupt group of people you can probably imagine. We don't have groups like this nowadays. The Canaanites represent problems, 
difficult realities that you're going to encounter along the way. They're the things that God asks you to let go of, and then they're the realities that hit you in the face. And the biggest reality that's going to hit you in the face is this culture. This culture is beckoning you, and it is offering you ease and peace and comfort and success. It's just beckoning you, and it's saying, come to me. It's all going to be great. But you don't realize that it's a siren who's leading to your death. And this is going to be one of the biggest obstacles you hit. A Canaanite is a difficult reality. Abram lands in this country, morally bankrupt, morally decayed, and he now is being called to live by faith in this holy God, and this is going to be a huge challenge for him. Our future legacy hinges on how we respond in these difficult moments and how we respond to the relationships in our life. How you respond to the lots of your life and the Canaanites of your life Uh, Your legacy hinges on these moments. Uh, Village Church has had a few hinge moments, and I'll just talk about the ones since I've been here so you can understand maybe a bit of our history. Uh, In 2008, there was this really aggravating thing called a recession. You guys remember that? (laughs) Well, in the time of the recession, you may not know this, but every church that I'm aware of, mega, small, medium, doesn't matter, all of them got exposed. Okay, if there was a little bit of financial mismanagement, it was blown up. It was seen visibly. If there was um, a little bit too much debt, if there was overstaffing, if people weren't lean, if things weren't functioning right, okay, everyone got exposed. And churches started declining quickly because the reality of the recession was so hard and so deep that the churches couldn't get away from it. So in 2008, Village Church, for better or for worse, and, and nobody really saw it because we were just building on what I think we thought was going to be long term. And then all of a sudden, we were realize, oh, there's this and there's that. On top of that, we had a pastoral resignation in the senior pastor position in the same year. And this was a huge hinge point for Village Church. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do when we have less money, less people working, we have less people on staff? What are we going to do in this really pivotal moment? This became a huge hinge point. So in all the foolishness of the leadership, they're like, how about a 28-year-old? He'd become the interim pastor. That's logical, right? I wouldn't have chosen it, okay? God clearly was up to something very differently. But like sometimes in those hinge moments, what you do matters immensely. And you need God's wisdom profoundly in those moments. I, I, I can tell you that for me, that was not a decision that I wanted to make. I, I can tell you that that was not a decision that I was like, yes. Like it wasn't like one of these pumped up decisions for me. And it was weird that God would do that. But then there's the reality. Uh, I'll just give you a couple of these hinge points. Another one was um, as we started to grow, Um, we got to a point two years ago where we needed another pastor. And you may not know this, but every time you hire a pastor, especially when there's only one other pastor on staff in a church, um, every pastor you bring in changes the entire ecosystem and culture of a church. It is a profound experience. I I can just tell you, I was filled with more anxiety than I, with any other decision I've ever made, uh, than I was hiring Tim's position. Not Tim, just the position. And uh, the rigmarole I put him through was largely because the anxiety that I was experiencing personally, knowing this was a hinge point for the village church. Right? If, if he was a swindler and a hoodlum, this would have gone really bad really fast. And it would have deeply wounded what we had been trying to build and preserve for literally a very long time in this church. And this position became a hinge point that was such a blessing for our church. And little did we know, I had this whole script of what we thought we needed. And God was like, let me do, let me do you even better. We'll bring in Pastor, Pastor Tim. Uh, another hinge point is 
basically coming upon us as we begin over the next two years we've already seen ourselves outgrowing some of the spaces in this church if the church continues to grow at the pace it is in two years we'll pretty much outgrow this space what we do with the building and the future and how we think about it these are hinge points everything hinges on these things these decisions can be for great blessing or great harm as we walk into the future and your personal life has these massive hinge points number three god can restore failed legacies. Some of you are here and you are already filled with regret. You might be in your 40s, 50s, 70s, 80s, or 90s. And you're thinking to yourself, my life, if I were to die right now, is not uh, going to give a legacy that I'm proud of. One of the things that gives me great comfort is that Abram was 75 years old when God intervened. This man had 75 years of debauchery and paganism that God had to dismantle so he could grow him into a man of faith. And as we tell the stories of Abraham, we don't tell the stories of his life before 75 years old. We tell the stories of his life after 75 years old. And the reason we do that is because God loves to enter into broken lives, make us usable, and transform us sometimes in the last third or quarter of our life. And I want to come to you and say, you have no idea how long you're going to live. Doctors could say one thing, but the Lord does whatever he wants. And I just want to come before you. I want to submit the example of Abram. I want to read a little bit more here and say, It is never too late to take what will be if you died today a failed legacy. Give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Put it in his hands and say, ask me to do scary, difficult things so I can build a legacy that will reverberate for generations. May I not in the last third of my life retire and do nothing. Jesus, this is the last part of my life. Take this. Ask me to do things that kill fear. Ask me to do things that my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids will be impacted by. I'm ready. I'm willing. You know my limitations. You know my fears. You know my weaknesses. Do what you need to do, and I will go wherever you tell me to go. There, there is a plight in the American church that the last third of your life you can retire and only spend time with your grandkids And I think that is huge because that is a part of your legacy. And we're going to talk in a couple weeks about how to leave a parent and grandparent legacy. But I'm telling you that your legacy is bigger than that. May you ask Jesus, give me scary jobs so that I can make much of Jesus Christ. And I can show the world and my family that there is something more important than my comforts and my ease and my rest. And that's Jesus. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram. At this point, he's traveling. I imagine, he says, thank God, where have you been? I've just been walking aimlessly trying to figure out what's going on here. They get into the land of Canaan, which would become the land of Israel, and he says, to your offspring, I will give this land. Did he give it to Abram? No, he actually says, he didn't say anything in this moment about that. He says, I'm going to give your offspring It's interesting because even Abram is blessed by this, so blessed by this, you see it in his response. He's like, you would do this for my name and for the generations after me. He says this, so he, Abram, built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. What do you do? How do you respond? 
when God offers to build you a name, a legacy that reverberates for generations. You worship him. And in Shechem, this seems to be the first altar, the first place of worship. He has church right there, right in the middle of this pagan world. They build a little local church, and this light is going to shine, and it's going to grow from this place. Verse 8, it says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. So he's still walking. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Even this man in his travels, it doesn't seem that the Lord is like giving him like turn-by-turn directions. They didn't have Google or anything like that. So he's like, all right, I'm just walking. And then every city he gets to, he stops, and he worships the Lord. And he gives praise and honor to God, even though he doesn't yet know where he's going. He doesn't know how this is going to work out. Before we get into the vision 2017, I want you to just, I want you to remember this. Church of Ephesus is a great reminder. Started off well, first two-thirds of their life did great. Last third of their life, they grew cold. They, they were basically living off of their obedience in the first two-thirds of their life. Right? They're living off their knowledge. They're not growing in knowledge of, of God so much. They're just living off of who they are and the good they've done. Okay? And they're still redeemable parts. Not like they're bad people, but they lost their passion for Jesus. What's interesting is that even in the latter part of their life, and this is, I think, what the message is to those who are in the final third of your life. Jesus looks at this church, and he says something really profound. Revelation 2.5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Change. And do the works you did at first. And then he threatens them. He says this, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You, you could look at this in one of two ways. You could look at this from the perspective of the threat. And the threat is real. I can look at your personal life, and I can look at Village Church. If we lose our focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ and the mission to which he has called us, then he could, in clear conscience, look at us and say, I will shut you down, Village Church. I will not play games with this. There's too much at stake for you to be playing games with the mission and with the gospel. For 40-some years, the leaders of this church have held to a pure gospel and have pursued the mission, the great commission of this church. Okay, So the moment we start shifting, we start losing focus, Jesus is going to come in here. He's going to look at all of us. So you can look at it from the perspective of the threat. I like to look at this from the perspective of the opportunity. It's not too late. Even a church in the last third of its life, he still is offering them to bless them. Isn't that crazy? He's still offering to be with them and to build this church for the sake of Jesus. And this is where I want to remember, if we ever get to this point, if we ever get to the point where Jesus comes into this church, not physically, but through the Spirit and says, I'm going to shut this place down if you don't change, or I'll just walk away and you'll be an empty group of people worshiping in vain. My prayer is that we would not see this as a threat and say, how dare you talk to us like this? (laughs) My prayer is that we would take the offer on the table and say, we're going to repent. And we want to make this about the main thing. So as we close, I want to share with you some of our big goals for 2017 as Ville Church. The reason I want to share these with you in the Legacy Series is because the great legacies are intentional and they're chosen on purpose. So we want to show for you, honestly, as a church, we want to, in the way we handle our money and the way we handle our future, the way we handle our plans, 
be even just a small model of what we would desire for you to do in your personal life. In the same way that we're setting these goals and that we're putting metrics behind these goals, the same way I would love for you to step back and leave this, this, this service and say, um, God, what kind of things do you want to grow in me by the end of this year? And what specific things can I put in motion in my life so that I can move towards these? So in Vision 2017, um, there are some things that have happened in 2016 that are really pushing some of the Vision 2017. And just to give you a little bit of a snapshot of where we've come from, um, in 2015, we grew by about 20%. In 2016, we grew by about 26%. It's a lot which means that there's been a lot of change, and many of you have felt that and you've experienced that. That can be hard on some levels. It can be good on some levels. We don't guarantee that that's going to continue to be a trend or not. The Lord could fast forward that or slow down. Um, our job is, and we've literally never in an elder meeting said, God, we pray for more people. Like That has never been something we've prayed for. We want to respond to what God is doing and ask God to give us a vision for he wants us to take the church. Um, financially, it has been a pretty incredible year. Not only have we increased in ministry, um, significantly in staffing and giving. We launched and funded a church plant. On top of that, we were able to save $98,000 into our general fund for future vision that God could um, ask us to do. And so God has been really, really good to us. He has been blessing us, and we do not want to become entitled brats. We want to continue to get on our face and on our knees and say, this is your church. You're the leader of this church. Where do you want us to go? And it's really hard. I mean, we have some longer-term goals, right? But it's really hard to hold those too tightly because the most that we can usually see is like six months in advance, and even that never pans out really the way we think it's going to pan out. Um, It's been a really meaningful year. We've had 16 people baptized, community group engagement, serving engagement, Unity um, are just increased. It's been a very sweet year. And uh, part of me would love to freeze 2016 and just kind of live in it forever, but that's not the way God works. And so we, we set up our vision um, for the following year um, under our mission statement, which is to make disciples who go, go and overcome. Good. Um, and so under go, here are some of the things that we are beginning to work toward and prepare for. We want to make these very, very clear to you so that you can at least know where we're at. And then halfway through this year, we'll come back, we'll revisit these, and we'll kind of shift them given what's happened in the year. Number one is to somehow go multi-site to start or restart churches with Village Church DNA. Here's what we found. The local churches, small to medium-sized churches in this area, are really, really, really um, struggling on a cultural level. And we have found that there's... a something very special, at least about the culture of Village Church. And what we would love to do is to pray about how we can start or restart churches in the future. Um, So we would have Village Church of, you name the city, and even if they don't want to be a Village Church, our desire is to really figure out how do we take some of the DNA and culture um, and mission of this church and replicate that. How that's going to look, I don't have a lot of answers for you. I know the first answer for that is starting Village Church East, and that has been going tremendously well. And so excited to see some of the stuff that's come up with that. And, uh, but that's, this, is the first, this is the first piece of that. It's an unknown. Um, we, behind the scenes, are working really, really hard to figure out how this looks organizationally, what this looks like for the future. Um, could we do this again? How do we do this? How do we do it better? We're learning as we go. And so this is a, this is a year of learning for, for the elders. But that's one of the really important things that we want to do. Number two undergo is we want to help people engage and find their one. So here's what we learned over the last year. Christmas Eve was actually a great illustration of this. Um, We had, I think, more people in our Christmas Eve services than we did Easter. Why? Because the people who you have the most influence around are your family and your extended family. 
for many people, this is, it's an interesting, we'll say, transition that's happening culturally, that your sphere of influence is your church and your family. And your family is this group of people that I think many of you, as we've talked to you, have been burdened for them, you've prayed for them, you've wanted to see them come to Christ. Um, maybe it's your neighbors, etc. but we really want to spend time this year in helping you pray for and figure out how to help one person in your life come to faith in Jesus Christ. When I ask you that question, who's your one? I don't want to overwhelm you with, you need to see the whole world say, but really we want to help. If, if every single person in the village church, of all five to 600 people who regularly attend village church found one person and just started praying like crazy for them, what could happen? And so what we want to do is release um, each one of us and encourage and prioritize who's your one. We're going to talk about that more. So for now, though, just want to whet your appetite and you'll see that coming up. Number two, and to grow. Village church and... Uh, Barlet and Ville Church East, we cannot control everything in your life. Uh, we don't want to control everything in your life. We actually don't want to be um, the only source of spiritual growth in your life. Um, there is a part of your life that we want to, um, be, uh, grow- want to be growing because you are personally pursuing the Lord. Um, but this idea that everything that I am comes from the village church, we just don't want to see that happen. So Pastor Tim and I, we're going to be working really hard. And there are some things that we want to really focus in on. We call them discipleship essentials for every single person. And this is what we found. Those who are, quote unquote, most mature in the church um, are actually struggling significantly in some of these things. And the vast majority of the village church needs to grow intensely in some of these things. And so what we want to do this is we really want to help faithful worship engagement. We really want to help people understand the value and the meaning of faithful worship. Um, we're going to explain that throughout the, throughout the rest of the year, but we want to really help people understand discipline, personal Bible study, and prayer. We would love the Word of God to be a part of your every single day of life. We would love Village Church individually, not just corporately, but for you and your relationship with God. We want you to know how to know God's Word, pursue Him through His Word, and get on your face and pray, because there may come a day when we have to disband Village Church. You, there may come a day where you have to move to a new city, and you may not have a church. There may come a day when God knows what will happen, but you need to be a equipped and you need to be disciplined to be in God's word and on your face praying. We want to help that. We want to help weekly sacrificial service. Serving is just a part of who we're made to be, whether it's in the church or in your community, whatever it is, but we want service, giving your life away to be a vital, fundamental part of your life. At Village, we ask our members to attend one and serve one. Attend some place during the week and attend worship here during the week and serve some place in some capacity during the week. Regular and irrational generosity. I think Village Church is one of the most generous churches on the planet. Uh, it's unbelievable um, how absolutely amazing this church has been. Uh, but we want to. We really want to develop a culture of generosity, whether it's friend to friend, family to family, family to church. When there's a need that comes up in the community, in your community group, or in the church, and generally just tithing in general, we really want to begin to develop this and and help people see a life of regular and irrational generosity. And then weekly community connection. This is basically what we do in community groups. We're meeting weekly with Christians to grow and go deeper. Um, these are some big things in terms of our growing and making disciples that we want to go back to the fundamentals and make sure that every single person has opportunities, encouragement, and training in each of these. One of the challenges as you grow, there's a whole bunch of people who kind of come in from the fringes and they've never been challenged on these things. And then what happens is if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, here's what happens to you. You stop doing them slowly or there's one or two of these 
and you're like, you know what, I'm giving uh, and I'm being generous with my money, but I have not talked to God in a month unless I'm with other Christians or at church. And what we want to do is kind of get back to the base and say to everybody, these are the fundamentals. This is what Christians do, by the way. Christians worship weekly. That's just what a Christian does. A Christian opens up the Bible and prays. Why? Because that's what a Christian does. These are like the lowest common denominators of what Christians do. And yet for many of us, these are sorely neglected and not fundamental parts of our life. Christians serve. Christians give when they're in need. They get needs. They give irrationally. Christians connect and pray and fellowship with other believers throughout the week. Fundamental. This is what Christians do. And so we want to help the church grow. And that. But number two in to grow is we're going to continue to engage digitally in about a month or less. We're launching another new website. It's Phil Church website, but it's going to be a multi-site website that allows for multiple churches um, to grow. So it's a scalable website, but it also has a restructured um, content page. So all of our sermons, blogs, Q&A podcasts, etc. are all going to be searchable, easier to find, easier to engage, easier to share. And it's going to be a much more, um, we'll just say, a helpful website in terms of content, discipleship making content. On top of that, we're launching at least three new podcasts in the next couple months. Um, our children's teaching is going to be, it's going to have its own podcast. So if you want to hear what's going on in children's ministry in the next, I think, two or three weeks, that podcast will be released. You can subscribe to that. Forge Weekly Teaching, you're going to be able to hear what's happening in our youth ministry. You're going to hear Matt and all the other teachers. You're going to be able to access that weekly. You can subscribe to that podcast. We have a team working behind the scenes. We're building a culture and theology podcast for all you nerds who want to learn what's going on in culture and how to think biblically about some of that. we got a, a a team of four people who are going to be having a, a joint discussion. It's going to come out bi-monthly, and it'll be something that really helps hopefully you engage culture in this context, think biblically, and love God even more. Those are just some of the uh, initiatives that are happening. We're building an entire video infrastructure. You may not know this, so we can use video content more strategically. It's why we redid our lighting, why we put TVs out there, and now over the next couple months, um, Matt Young, Mark Collins, Michael Mitroff, our AV team, um, they're going to be building a video infrastructure that will allow us to capture video and then we can make that digital, shareable, and helpful content. So those are just some of the initiatives that we're working on. You can tell that we are very committed to these initiatives and we are going to follow through on these and we've been working on them for a long time and building this infrastructure so we could do these things really, really well. Finally, overcome. Um, There are significant shepherding challenges because of the growth that we've had. So our leaders have have come to me and said, Michael, could we not start so many new things for a year? And I'm like, cool. Well, we'll start the podcast. We'll put a new app. We'll do this. All right. After all that, (laughs) uh, after all that, um, one of the things that we're committed to this year is figuring out what is and doing what is really well. Uh, We're kind of just hitting a reset on new big visions. We're going to launch Village Church East, fulfill some of the digital initiatives that we put in motion a while back. Um, but really what we want to do is, is release our staff and our leadership to serve and equip Village Church to make disciples who go, grow, and overcome. We hire not because we're bored or we get extra money. We hire people to serve and release the body for ministry. And we hire to care and to make sure that the vision of our church is being implemented. And so what we want to do this next year is really go deeper in making sure that we are loving and caring for every soul in this community to the best of our ability. Will we do this perfectly? The answer is no. We spent the last year, all 2016, building uh, an infrastructure behind the scenes that would allow us to do this. And now in 2017, we need to use this much better. Uh, We need to use this in a way that serves our people, cares for you well, and helps you become a disciple who goes, grows, and overcomes. 
And the last part of this is our facilities challenge. We shared in congregational meetings. We shared uh, through an email I sent out a couple weeks ago about our A-team. They are called the advisory team. Like the A-team makes me feel like, you know, the van with Mr. T and all that stuff. <clears throat> but um, John Rocky, one of our elders, he's Mr. T for sure. And uh, what they're doing is seven men and women in the church who love the Lord, love this church. And what they're doing is uh, putting together a facilities plan in light of growth um, that would bless um, the village church, would bless our community, and would preserve, God willing, our legacy for hopefully decades to come. Um, as we get near and nearer to plans um, and all that good stuff, we're going to bring you all into that. But what you can know is that we are resolved to addressing some of these facilities, facilities needs. Um, I'm going to close now with, with my Mission 2017 prayer. Appreciate you guys sitting through a three-hour sermon. Um, it wasn't that, don't worry. Uh, every year, every year, I say this every year, and it proves to be true. We get to the end of the year, and I look back, and I say, didn't see that one coming. Blown away by it. Every year, I'm like, wow, that was, where did that come from? If you would have told me at the beginning of 2016 what would happen throughout the year, I would have said, no way, Jose. <laughs> And yet God far exceeded the expectations that even I had. Some of, these, some of the challenges of this year have been overwhelming. Some of them have been so joyful. And yet God has proven himself faithful through every single bit of it. And so when I get to 2017, this is my prayer of remembrance and it's my prayer for this year. And it's very simple. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine or think according to the power at work within us. Here it is. To him be glory in the village church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Do you hear the concern for legacy here? That what happens here is going to reverberate for generations? Forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, my true, simple prayer is that we as a church made up of individuals would build a legacy, not for our own namesake, but for the name of Jesus Christ that would go for generations. Lord, our desire is that the village church would proclaim the name of Jesus, that many would be blessed. Lord, I know that there are hinge points this year. There are going to be huge decisions that stand between us and blessing. And God, would you give, starting with the leadership and throughout this entire body, your mind, your heart, your decisions, your will in each of these. Would you provide for us a spirit of unity? Would you intervene in each one of us who may not be thinking your thoughts, who may be unnecessarily divisive, who might be working out of fear and not faith? Would you expose us and show us that so that we can follow you? Lord, for those of us who actually call our own ambition faith, would you expose us so that we don't move faster than what you want or do things that seem right but aren't really your heart and your will? God, we invite you into every aspect of this. Lord, as we come to the communion table, we're reminded that the only reason that we collectively can stand here is because of what you did for us on the cross. And apart from Jesus, we have nothing. We have absolutely nothing. And so we come to you, and we want to say thank you. 
And we worship you and we celebrate now communion in the name of Jesus who purchased us. And all God's people said, amen.